0: Hello, welcome to Loving Susan, a podcast full of helpful ideas for those who love someone with a mental illness, such as depression, anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, BPD, bipolar, or schizophrenia. From Alexandra Georges, author of Mom and Me, My Journey with Mom's Schizophrenia. Welcome to our show. Hello, Welcome. I'm Alexandra and I'm so glad you tuned in today. I'm excited to share another topic with you. Today, we're going to talk about what causes schizophrenia and mental illnesses. Or perhaps better said, what are the contributing factors in the development of mental illness? Because we don't really know exactly what causes mental illness yet, but we do have a lot of insight about things that seem to increase a person's likelihood or probably are part of their story. But one individual, it's very difficult to say, you know, what caused their mental illness, but we do have a lot of good data. And I find it very valuable to look at this data. For me, it changed my life when I learned all these things. It helped me to have a lot more compassion and understanding toward my mom with her illness. So I think it's worthy of us to spend some time thinking about that. Plus, people just wonder, right? Everybody wonders, where did this thing come from? It's a natural question. The scientists believe it isn't one cause, it's probably a mosaic of causes, a a number of things that bring out this mental illnesses in people. So let's talk about all those possible factors. First, let's talk about some of the biology of schizophrenia and mental illness. Uh, Nancy Andreessen came out with a groundbreaking book years ago called Broken Brain. Great book. I totally recommend it. And what she really brought to light a lot of the data about the biological kind of factors, causes of schizophrenia uh, that were known at the time, and we know more since that book was published. In that book, she shows um, a CT scan of a person with schizophrenia right next to a person who does not have mental illness. And you can see in the scan that the person with the mental illness, schizophrenia, had an enlargement of the limbic system. So it's very, very interesting to see side by side, wow, the brain for this person is truly different. And we do find brain structures of some people with schizophrenia, schizophrenia are slightly different than those of healthy people. Now you could say, oh, cool, do a CT scan and we'll know if a person has schizophrenia. Oh, that would be so nice if it was that easy and that, if that actually worked. But unfortunately, it is not that simple and clean. Uh, Because there are people who have this enlargement of the limbic system, and they don't have schizophrenia. And there are people with schizophrenia who don't have the enlargement of the limbic system. So it isn't a definitive, you know, uh, test to tell you if someone has the illness. But for some people, this is going on. Okay? Now there have been over a hundred MRI studies that have shown that cerebral ventricles which carry cerebral spinal fluid throughout the brain, are on average about 15% larger in individuals with schizophrenia. Over 100 studies have shown that. All right, that is something very different. The thalamus, which lies adjacent to the main limbic system structures, has been shown by MRI to be smaller and have a loss of cells in some of its nuclei. So all these great imaging and studies are showing that for many people with schizophrenia, the brain truly really is shaped, it's different, it's working differently. We see the biology of that, all right? Uh, also many neuroscientists believe that a major cause or factor of schizophrenia is excessive dopamine transmission. And Dopamine is the neurotransmitter that um, the scientists believe is related to psychosis, hearing voices, those types of symptoms. And they also believe excessive serotonin levels are probably involved. And serotonin was probably linked to the symptoms of kind of looking numbed out a bit, not having a lot of motivation, that kind of part of them, difficulty concentrating. They also believe that glutamate and gamma are involved. So there's something with the neurotransmitters going on. And also the medications which affect the neurotransmitters are effective, right? Um, Medications for schizophrenia reduce the uh, dopamine and serotonin excessive levels by either uh, blocking them or reuptake it's called and therefore the person's symptoms are actually relieved. So there is definitely something going on for most people with schizophrenia in terms of these neurotransmitters. Now is that the cause or is that actually a symptom? That's one of the things we don't know exactly. Um, but the good news is that the medications do work quite well on these, and they consider schizophrenia a highly treatable illness. I know you don't, may not think that's true, but it actually is because the medications are that effective. And I'm going to have another session where we talk about, yeah, but what if they don't want to take the meds? Yeah, I know. That's a whole. That's a whole another half hour. <clears throat> Tune in. I'll be probably next time. I'll do that one. Also, brain scans have found an overactive immune system in those with high risk of schizophrenia. So the body seems to be fighting something. And the imaging, imaging is really interesting on this. So there's been mounting evidence that immune system and inflammation play a key role in schizophrenia and other psychiatric conditions. There's a lot of good research on this, of the link between inflammation and mental illness. Okay? Now let's go back in history. The Finnish people have been keeping incredible records on their people that have educated the entire world. Thank you, Finland. In 1939, there was a winter war. It lasted three months. There were 25,000 Finnish casualties. Some of the wives of those casualties were pregnant at the time. And so there was some research that looked at those wives' babies and they compared them to children that were one years old when their fathers died. And you know what? The babies who were in utero had a higher rate of schizophrenia. Hmm, when their, when their dads died, how about that? Then in 1957, there was an influenza epidemic in Helsinki, Finland. I've been to Helsinki just through the airport on my way to Oslo once. They're very nice people, the language is definitely very different. <laughs> it was very interesting to try to order a cup of coffee. Anyway, back to the influenza, it lasted only five weeks and two thirds of the city had some signs of infection. So the three month war was much longer it was the whole country, 25,000. Now we've got a concentrated group, five weeks, one city, two thirds sick, right? So they looked at that, the records on those people and the babies who were in the second trimester had a much higher rate of schizophrenia later in life. And the babies in the first and third trimester actually didn't have an increased rate. How about that? Now let's go over the Netherlands, which I've also been to, and uh, gotten to travel a lot in my life. <clears throat> there was a famine in Western Holland between October of 1944 and May of 1945, and it reached its peak in February to April of 45. World War II—such a hard time in the world for sure. So the offspring exposed to severe famine during the first trimester of pregnancy had a two-fold increase in the rates of schizophrenia. Hmm. So famine, infection. What's going on in the first and second trimester? Well, it's brain development, neurotransmission, the neural system, you know, neurological system. <laughs> I mean, that continues to develop after that, but that's when we first see it being formed in the baby. So there can be for some people prenatal um, disruptions, um, infections, um, complications that can affect how that brain develops. Now let's look at infections, a little more on in, in infections. Recent studies from Stanley Laboratory at John Hopkins Medical Center have provided strong suggested evidence that infectious agents are involved in causing some cases of schizophrenia. So like I said, lots of good research in this area. Also, there have been over a hundred studies covering a half a million people in 34 countries. So this has really been studied now. And they've consistently shown a larger percentage of people born with schizophrenia in the winter and spring months, December through April, about five to 8% higher. Well, what's going on in the winter and spring months? Cold, flu, influenza, right? Infection, infection. Can affect that little baby. Now there's another thing, uh, the T. gandhi or Toxmoplasi gandhi parasite. Say that three times fast. You don't really have to. Anyway, we've known about this one for a long long time, uh, but this particular parasite, um, if it, it it can also be another reason why a person can develop schizophrenia. Since 1953 there have been, that's that's what I'm saying, 53, it's quite a while, long time ago, there have been 19 studies on this uh, this parasite, and they've studied the antibodies in persons with schizophrenia and other severe psychiatric disorders, not just schizophrenia. And they've seen this, that in many of the patients, they have this parasite, all right? So uh, there's a lot of data supporting this. Where do you get this parasite? Well, it's from little miceys and rats who are out in the yard eating the junk they eat out there. And then your friendly little house cat who's running out there, and you know what they love to do, I've had many cats, they like to hunt. And when they find those little mice, they like to plop them right in front of your feet like they're so proud as, they, as you see this disgusting little mouse. Or they eat the mouse, right? Well, if they eat the mouse, and even if they don't eat the mouse, even if they just bring it in and plop it at your feet, but it, and it has the parasite, kitty gets the parasite. Kitty poops the parasite, the pregnant mom scoops the poop, The parasite enters her and enters the baby's brain, I know, and this is one of the reasons why they advise uh, pregnant women to not scoop kitty litter. Now I would think that if the cat is an indoor cat, the likelihood is a lot less, although cats, you know, mice can still get in your house and cats can still eat them. I've had that happen too, that ain't fun. And it's also a good reason to keep your cat inside though, keep them clean so you can enjoy your cat. Also, examinations of hospital records show that complications at or around the time of birth, like hypoxia, low birth weight, abnormal fetal heart rate, third trimester bleeding, are related to subsequent brain, uh, uh, sorry, subsequent abnormalities in the size and shape of brain structure in schizophrenia. All right. Now, also, though, they don't believe that the birth process alone can cause schizophrenia. That doesn't seem to be enough of a, there's, let's just say, there's little support of that. But it can be a factor. I teach the class Nominee Family to Family. Phenomenal class. I'm going to tell you about it again. It's a great, great class. And we talk about the second hit, that a person might have one thing go wrong, if essentially, in their life, and another. There seems to have to be multiple things uh, before a person develops schizophrenia and other mental illnesses. So uh, that could just be one of the factors for some people is what happened in the the pregnancy or birth process. An infection. Okay, what about genes? Can you get mental illness from genetics from your family line? Well, there's quite a lot of data supporting that. Twin studies have revealed that when one identical twin has schizophrenia, there is about a 30 to 65% likelihood the other twin will too, even if adopted by separate families. Hmm. That seems to show there must be something going on with genes. The rate in the general population of acquiring schizophrenia is 1%. And this is, of course, no matter, I mean, the studies vary, and what they found, that's why it's 30 to 65%. It's still way higher, all right? And with fraternal twins, if one is schizophrenia, the other develops the illness 10 to 17% of the time. If a mom has schizophrenia, her child has a 9 to, uh, to 10% chance. I knew this one couple I met. Uh, her mom had schizophrenia and his dad, and they had two daughters with schizophrenia. Oh, my heart just went out to them. I just know that had to be it's just so heartbreaking and hard for everybody to have to have that, that illness and both of their kids after they've dealt with it with their parents. But again, doesn't that show, you know, the genetical unfortunate uh, stuff that probably was in their line. So there's quite a lot of data about genes and the scientists really believe that unquestionably that there's some support for genetics can affect mental illness and be part of it. And it's actually more common with mood disorders of bipolar and depression, the rates are even higher with schizophrenia. Um, So um, they also believe that the same genes involved in schizophrenia seem to be implicated in some way in other conditions like ADHD and autism. I've always thought those guys were had some overlap. Let's just say in those illnesses. So, so there's a lot more to be done. They don't believe it's one single gene or gene mutation. They think it could be some kind of a makeup that makes a person more susceptible to the illness. Okay. Um, so that's a little bit on genes there there is something there however, they don't believe everybody is develops the illness from genes and this is because um, a lot of people with schizophrenia don't marry and have kids right It happens in the young period you know young year, younger years of their life and it affects their ability to marry often and have children and so, you would think then the illness would just kind of go away because they're not having kids, but the rate stays 1% even with that. So there seems to be more going on or more reasons than genetics. Okay. Now the other thing to know is that a person may not have schizophrenia at all, but it may look like schizophrenia. There are other illnesses that look have the same symptoms. Okay. One's called anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. This is caused by a brain infection, which is an attack on the NMDAR receptors in the brain. And it's actually cured not with these, you know, treat them with these drugs that you treat with a person with schizophrenia. They actually get high-powered antibiotics in the hospital to relieve themselves of this infection. Or if it's caused by a tumor, you'd remove the tumor. There's a woman named Susan Callahan who wrote a book about it called Brain on Fire. And I think that was made into a movie. I didn't see it yet. And there's also a number of other illnesses that can show symptoms similar to schizophrenia. Temporal lobe epilepsy, brain tumors can affect that, head trauma, uh, viral encephalitis, cerebral syphilis, multiple sclerosis, Huntington's disease, herpes encephalitis, and reactions to prescription drugs. So when a person starts showing these symptoms of Hearing voices or psychosis, they really need a full medical workup with blood and neurological exams to see what's going on and what is really uh, the best treatment for a person. This can also be why a person's not getting well and they're just staying the same as the real uh, illness hasn't even been truly really named. So keep that in mind. Now, what about environmental influences? Those are all your biology and more. more you know, the brain infections. Well, I hate to say this, but this is what some of the studies show, that people with schizophrenia are more likely than others to have been physically abused as children, about 56.4%. I know, that's hard to say. They're also much more likely to experience childhood sexual abuse, about 33%. Now, there's many, many people, that's not 100%, right, that have not experienced either of those. Uh, but for some people that's part of their bra- background. Is that a cause? Mm, I don't think so. There's many people go through those same things and they don't develop mental illness. But it may be a contributing factor in their their scenario. It might be something that affected the way their brain developed. That's kind of childhood stress. Now for my mom, I don't really believe there was anything of that sort in her family. I have no evidence of that. Not heard of that from her or her sisters. I didn't observe anything that I would consider like that from my grandparents, and I knew them until I was in my 30s. So in her particular case, I don't think that was true. However, children who experienced early emotional neglect, isolation, or other trauma are more likely to develop schizophrenia. How about that? So it may not have been abuse. It just may be they felt neglected, isolated, or had something else really traumatic happened for them. Now that I do think happened in my mom's case. She was the only child for six years, and then my grandparents had this set of absolutely adorable um, identical twin daughters. Um, And my aunts, you should see their baby pictures, they're the cutest things you ever saw. Adorable girls. And their town that they lived in was kind of small at the time. They lived by the train station where the commuters would walk by, and in the front yard the kids would be plane, and they'd ooh and ah over the twin girls, very rare in the 40s, you know, back in World War II. We didn't have the baby-making things we have today. And my mother felt invisible, not just by them, but kind of by everybody. My, My grandparents were, they had their hands full. They had to get these two babies raised, and so they did their best. I know they loved my mom very, very much, but they were, you know, they were spread pretty thin. My mother used to say to me, it all goes back to when I was six years old and I lost my daddy's love. I mean, she's talked about how traumatic that was for her. And so I don't know how that would affect her brain, but it seems like maybe it did in her case, you know, in some way. Um, Another environmental influence is that studies have found that when families are critical, hostile, or overly involved, schizophrenia is more likely to develop as well as be poorly managed. Now, if you love someone with mental illness, I want you to write that on a piece of paper. I want you to write down critical, hostile, overly involved, put a circle around it, and then a line through it, all right, because you got to get that out of your life. This is something really practical you can do to help your loved one. So, not be critical. Be the opposite. Praise them, affirm them. They need that. They don't need you to put them down and say it's not good enough, right? That's really, really hard. Studies show that the illnesses are poorly managed when they're getting a lot of criticism. Uh, hostile. Sometimes, depending on a person's mental illness, yeah, it can be really frustrating. You can get pretty mad. They can do things that are really hard on you. Sometimes people with mental illness attack the people who love them, physically attack them. They They can do some pretty hard things. I hear about it in the people I help. So I understand, man, of course you're angry and it's it's really understandable to go through that. However, your loved one needs to be sheltered from your anger because it's going to help them. <laughs> so, I say well, if you're really mad and you're starting to lose it, you got to walk away, shut the door, punch a pillow, go for a walk, go for a drive, call somebody safe, not in earshot of your loved one so they can't hear what you're saying. But find a safe place to get that out and not on your loved one. All right, that's just going to be so disruptive for them. And then overly involved. You think, well, that'd be good. I'm helping them out. No, you're creating stress on them. So overdoting on your loved one or trying to control everything they're doing get them to do this, get them to do that, that kind of thing. You're creating pressure on them. That's actually counterproductive to them getting well. I know it's so, you'd think that would be so good. You're so, you know, helping them out. Well, no, you're not. So it's actually, studies have shown this, that this kind of high pressured family, the the person with mental illness doesn't do as well. So this is something for you to work on in yourself and you can help your loved one. When I talked about those twin studies, how when one had uh, schizophrenia, the other one developed it 30 to 65 percent, even when different family adopted to different families, well, what they observed is that it was only happened, uh, only um, showed up, the illness only showed up when those families were critical, hostile, and overly involved. So it only came out when the family system was a pressured system. So that's even more why you don't want to do that. Okay, let's talk about marijuana. Legal everywhere. Multiple studies have shown a persistent link associated between marijuana use and psychosis, including schizophrenia, with symptoms such as paranoia and hallucinations. So, And I could go on. There's many, many studies about this, that there does seem to be a link between marijuana use and schizophrenia. And this is why we advise People under the age of 25 need to stay away from this stuff because the brain is still developing. And it can affect the brain and how the brain develops. Especially today, the THC levels are not regulated. They're high. There's a lot of competition going on between legal and illegal. So they bump those levels up sky high. And that affects the brain. All right. Let's talk about estrogen. Well, estrogen has a protective role in schizophrenia. And this is why they believe women, the, the factor of why they believe women show schizophrenia later than men, that this, the uh, estrogen is protecting them for a period of time. And also why they, they see sometimes oh, post-menopausal women developing schizophrenia. I do think that was a factor with my mother, that when she had her hysterectomy, all of a sudden her brain started to change and we started to see depression and later schizophrenia. And they've tried giving women estrogen as a form of treatment. In the short run, they get better. In the long run, they actually got worse. So it didn't actually work. I think you need more than just estrogen. It's like the whole system has to be working the way it was meant to, I think. So um, what about Freud? Good old Freud. Well, he had a lot of interesting theories. And one of his theories was that mental illness, such as schizophrenia, is rooted in some sort of repression of self. Now, we know from everything I just told you, there's a lot more going on than that. But could repression of self be part of it? Well, I think, there, I think there could be some truth to that. I'm going to tell you about that in just a sec. Also, cognitive behavior therapy, called CBT, is the only therapy outside of medication that helps people with schizophrenia at this time. Although CBT may starting to help some people, but CBT has already been proven. And CBT is helping them kind of rethink through and, and come up with other reasons for their paranoia, the delusions, right? So it's, a, it's kind of like helping them think differently. Okay, back to repression. My mom and I were at a cheap shoe store, and she found a pair of shoes on the $5 shoe rack, and she was all excited. She gets to the counter. The associate says, that'll be 10 25 My mom said, they're $5.00. They're on the $5.00 rack. The associate goes, someone must have moved them. They're $10.00. Well, my mom was, like, upset, so I said, Mom, here, it's five bucks, I buy the shoes. She bought the shoes. We get in my car, I'm driving her back to her place. The next thing out of her mouth is, you know, I really don't think I'm going to live. I think I have cancer. I think i got three months to live. I think, you know, I'm just going to give you everything i got because I'm not going to be around. And, you know, those doctors, they're trying to kill me. they are I know they're trying to kill me. They're making me sick. <laughs> so, it was a paranoia lava flowing out of her mouth, which I'd heard many, many times in my life. I thought, gosh, where did that come from? All of a sudden, she just got all paranoid again. I wonder what that was about. And I thought, huh. I said, hey, Mom, are you upset because you weren't able to buy those shoes? And it was like her eyes opened up bigger, like I woke her up from a trance. And she just said, well, yeah, for once, I want to buy something with my own money. My goodness, it really was that. That really did trigger the paranoia. She was repressing her feelings, so maybe Freud wasn't so off, you know. Uh, so after that, I realized, okay, man, there's something to this. I would, anytime I heard her say something paranoid, I think, what might she really want to say? What's really hurting her now? Or try to get to what's really what her feelings are. And this is good for all people with mental illnesses to to. Um, try to validate their feelings of what they're going through. I mean, they just need, everybody likes to be heard on our feelings, but especially if you're dealing with a mental illness. Um, Also, studies have, studies published for the last 50 years have provided solid evidence of a link between recent stressful events and the onset of episodes of schizophrenia. So again, a big stressful event can trigger it's just kind of how our brain works, I guess. Stress can make us kind of go to that different spot and it work differently, right? Um, so to sum this up on what causes mental illness and schizophrenia, let me ponder a little bit. What causes cancer? If I asked you that, what would you say? Would you say any one thing? No, we probably wouldn't, right? You'd say, well, smoking, people who smoke have a higher likelihood, right? Genetics, my late husband, he had a gene that he inherited from his father that gave him a 100% chance of getting colon cancer. 100%! It was really not a good gene. And that's what he got and he passed from it. Uh, But it can be exposure to toxins and asbestos. My girlfriend's dad, he died from cancer. He was a plumber and he worked with asbestos, um, you know, places with asbestos. So... That was probably his cause. Infections, hepatitis B or C, alcoholism, cirrhosis of the liver, obesity, diabetes, just plain aging. You can get cancer from this because you got old. But there isn't necessarily one cause and for one person, their cause could be a different cause. It could be a set of things, right? And that's how it is with mental illness. It isn't one individual factor that that's the cause for it all. No, there are maybe a bunch of causes, a bunch of, you know, things, and everybody is unique in what their particular makeup is. But what I do hope you see with all that I shared today is that mental illness is not a something somebody chooses. They're not choosing to not feel like getting up in the morning, right? They're not choosing to hear a voice or to think bizarre thoughts. It is involuntary. The brain is doing it to them, right? <laughs> they have no choice. to. It's there whether they like it or not. But what we can choose is how we react to the illness and to our loved one. That's the power we have, all right? And that's what I'm going to teach more and more in these podcasts, of how we can choose better. When a person, when a family member gets When you, sorry, when you have a family member who has a mental illness, uh, there's typically two ways people respond. One is they get out of there uninvolved. I mean, they check out going, this is weird. I don't know what to do with this. I can't handle it. I'm out of here. Right. Then other family members will do the opposite. They'll try to save the day, which is kind of me and get overburdened and over responsible and try to make it all better. What we really need, though, is actually in between. It is balance. It is being involved, letting ourselves love this person, let them love us back, but also not taking on responsibility for everything, right? Not being overburdened. So I'll talk more and more about that in our podcast about that balanced love, which is what we're trying to work at. And hopefully today, it helps you have more compassion for your loved one and how they didn't have choice. And they're really doing the best they can. And uh, we just really need to show them positive affirmations, love, and peace. And that will help them a lot. Um, check in next time with more good information. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at G-E-O-R-G-A-S is in Sam at Comcast.net. Okay, and with that, have a great day.